I'm Amelia. And I'm Sophie. And welcome to So Ma, So Good. Uh, here we are talking about the reboot of the Fruits Basket anime. We're finally talking about season three. Um, so that's very exciting. Uh, we are both manga readers and we try and keep this spoiler free. But if we mess up and put any spoilers, we'll put that down in the description. I finally don't have to say the really long explanatory version of that statement now. <laughs> Thank God. Um, and if there's anything particularly triggering, we'll put that down as well with content warnings. Um, without further ado, let's talk about this fucking crazy episode. This is going to be a really long one. Yeah. 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 It's, she thick. She thick. There's just, like, a lot in this episode. There's just, like, a lot. Yeah. They just, they're, like, here, here is, like, just act three is just, like, fucking bananas. And part of the reason is because of Akito. Because we finally get into it with Akito, which I am so excited for, because I fucking love Akito. And before season three, I feel like Akito kind of seems like a really two-dimensional villain. Like, like yeah. their actions, like, don't make a lot of sense without the context. Like, they just, you know what I mean? Um, but I think that this episode just instantly shows us, like, no, Akito is fucked up. Like, there's yeah. a reason that Akito acts the way that they act. Akito is so fucked up yeah it's just <laughs> this episode's a lot um and also it's kind of yeah we like as far as the acts of fruits basket go like even though toru is the protagonist of fruits basket like it's very much like toru yuki and kyo are like the three main characters of fruits basket and they each get like an act of fruits basket and it goes like kyo yuki toru um and now it's toru time after um after all this wait, the main character of Fruits Basket is finally the focus of the show. <laughs> <laughs> and you definitely see that in this episode, because it's one of the more episodes that's actually focused on Toru and her own problems instead of Toru. I mean, she's worried about other people's problems, but she's worried about her own problems, like, yeah. actually. Yeah. But it, it was a good choice to do that, I think. And I also like that the act that focuses on Toru is also the act that focuses on Akito because they are foils. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, protagonist, antagonist. Um, but, no, it was, it, was, it was a fun choice. Despite the messiness of Act 3, it was a fun choice. Yeah. And I think it makes sense given that, like, Toru is, like, such a repressed character. Um, and so... I mean, not, yeah. like, repressed in the way that, like, Yuki was repressed, where he's, like, you know, very unexpressive, has a hard time connecting with other people. Obviously, Toru is hyper-empathetic and very expressive, but she's, like, she's locked her shit down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it also, like, makes sense that, like, Toru is, like, out of the three of them, like, the most consistent Um and therefore, like, we don't get the deep stuff until the very end just because she has to help so many other characters move forward um, before we can get to her stuff. Like, it, like you know, Kyo and Yuki are radically different from beginning to end. But Toru really isn't. Her storyline is a lot more subtle. Um, so it's just, like, yeah, paced slower over a longer amount of time. Yeah, for sure. Should we just get into it? Should we just go? Yeah. All right. Um, I have a lot to say about the cold open. 
Um, so the monologue in the cold open is the exact same monologue as the cold open in season one, episode one. Um, and it's also delivered almost exactly the same. It's a different delivery. Like it's, they recorded it again. Um, but if you like, I was like going back and comparing it line for line. It's almost exactly the same. The big difference is that they changed the music cue. So the track in 1-1, it's very um, fantastical. It's very whimsical. Definitely like portrays the curse as something like interesting. Um, but the track in 3-1, it's very dark and heavy and foreboding. Um, and it really changes the the tone of the story itself um that it's not this like fantastical like cool like interesting thing it is something that is very heavy and like largely negative um and i also think it it reflects just like how retrospect like how retrospect can change things and also how like different people in different positions um, can view the exact same situation very differently from one another. So, like, I'm talking, like, you know, Toru, obviously, because she knows more about the curse, but Akito refers to the curse as a blessing. Um, the curse manifests differently in um, each zodiac and even, like, the, di- the dichotomy between um, Ren and Akira. Um, so I thought that was, like, I liked that they repeated it. Yeah. what I'm saying. I... <laughs> fully didn't realize that that is what happened i was just like okay this is cool but that's actually now that you say that and i know this information really interesting mine when i was watching it i was like part of me was like curious if toru was the best choice to narrate it um like i think it's fine and i think it makes sense i on i almost think like it could have been cool if they had done it where like the first in season one like I can't decide if it would be more interesting if Toru narrates it for season one and Akito narrates it for season two or vice versa. But I think if they had done something like that, that could have been really interesting. That could have been really interesting and played off the the whole foil aspect of their relationship. Yeah. And just like how they have such different perspectives and how like the perspective on the curse can be like so different. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. But no, I think it was good. And I also think that it somewhat helped the fact that we're thrown directly back where we left off, just yeah. like in the middle of the scene. <laughs> yeah. That was um, a lot to, like, yeah, have that cold open. And then there's the theme song, which uh, I have some thoughts on. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like I want to talk about the transition, though, and then we can double back to the theme yeah. song. But I was like, the, f- the theme finished, and... Uh, we just jump literally directly where we left off in season two in the middle of this scene. And it was like so jarring to me that I actually went back to the manga and read to be like, is this literally what happens? Uh, and it is, it is. It's adapted like completely faithfully in that sense where they just are like, yep, they dropped this bombshell and then it just keeps going. Um, but because I think it worked a lot easier in the manga just because like the manga was continuous and it wasn't like split up into seasons per se. Um, but the fact that they, like, split this up into, like, three, like, distinct seasons made this kind of a really jarring way to re-enter 
um, Fruits Basket. I almost wish they had, like, put something else there to, like, ease the transition. Because it is just kind of like, oh shit, I guess we're just back. Um, but, yeah. It's kind of a weird adaptational choice. That makes sense that it was jarring. So I finished my season two rewatch on Sunday. And the episode came out on Monday. So for me, it was very natural. But if I hadn't done a rewatch, I would definitely feel the same as you. Yeah. And for a casual viewer, it's very jarring. I had one more thing to say about the cold open, actually. Oh, go <laughs> I was ahead. not even done. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, they did, they, so like she like delivers the beginning of the monologue um, and it's the same. And then they talk about like the promise. And in 1 1, um, they cut to God and the cat referencing the original promise and how it was made um uh based on the love of two individuals um but in 3-1 instead of cutting to god and the cat it cuts to shigure hatsuri aimi and kurano um which i think you know it shows it implies about how um you know they were unwillingly born into this agreement and they all continue to perpetrate the cycle of abuse in their adulthood and it just really hammers home like how much of the original promise was forgotten and just left like the bonds yeah that was all i had to say about the golden open <laughs> time can really warp shit um yeah okay yeah want to talk about the op <laughs> yeah sure yeah the op was fun the song was kind of like chill hop a little bit and I was <laughs> yeah like, huh kind of a weird choice for fruits basket i mean i don't hate this song mm-hmm. but it is a little like what is this yeah i also was a little like at first um but i think it i really don't like i don't like the ops for the show i think this is this song is one of the better ones yeah but it's fine I'm not gonna listen to it again. <laughs> no, it was pretty. The oh, the wide shots were so cool, and the split screens. Yeah, I like the split screens a lot. I I have one little nitpick, and this is just like, I kind of wish they had not like shown like Momiji in like a boy's uniform, like right in the very first episode. I feel like that's kind of weirdly spoilery. Um, I feel like it gives something away. In my opinion, I wish they hadn't done that, but it's fine. Whatever. It's like a tiny little. It's it's not a big deal. It's like a me having a little nitpick. Hmm. Um. Fair enough. Um. I actually that was the one note that I did make about the. Um. It wasn't about his uniform. It was about who Momiji st- um shares the split screen with. Um. Because yeah. they all s- share a split screen with their love interest. Um. Except Momiji doesn't have a love interest. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> which is here you go he, uh so he is paired with kurino which i really like that choice um because momiji who is grown now um you know he's looking over his shoulder very pointedly at the camera um it really it belies his agency and the intentionality of his behavior and kurino was fully facing away from the camera like fully um he's choosing not to use any of his agency and he's hiding his eyes which we know means in this show their emotions um from the world so i like that um that kurino was the person that they choose to like contrast momiji with i thought it was a cool choice yeah yeah it was fun they also 
it's not all entirely love interest. They put um, Hattori and Ayame together. I thought that mm. was good because I think those two also have a similar sort of like one of them who very much is pushing back, like using what power and agency they do have to establish themselves and then someone who very much by choice is fully giving themselves over to Akito. Yeah, true. But that's about all I have to say. It was pretty. The song was kind of strange, but as far as Fruits Basket theme songs go, <laughs> Dece. Uh, <laughs> the bar's low. The Some bar's of those theme songs low. are bad. Some of them are just not good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then okay. we jump right into... Then we jump right back, which was <laughs> wild, and I did. I was like, oh, holy sh- just back back at it. Back at it. They're still here. They're still talking. <laughs> Corinna's still crying. <laughs> Corinna's still crying. <laughs> Poor Toru. Dude just dumps all that shit on her. Yeah, he's like, I really hello. Like, hello, Kareno child. sees a teenage girl and he offloads. <laughs> Kareno also was like so touchy. So creepy. I don't like that You know guy. he's a close talker. Yeah. <laughs> like, take a step back, sir. Like, personal space. Personal You're in Japan. Space. They love their personal space, it seems. Yeah. Oh, well. But uh, uh, well, uh, someone pointed out to me that, that is what hanging out with Akito does to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that really is. Yeah, I didn't really have anything to say about that whole, just a, just a reminder, Akito's a woman. Um, and then it moves on to showing us um, Ren. And yeah, it's like, Akito's a woman, and why has Akito been raised as a man? Or, like, why does Akito present, like, a ra- man? It's like, well. I They did, like, a fun, like, ramp up, and, like, I like that we still see Ren's hands first, and then it, like, slowly reveals. It's like hands, tits, face. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like, Ren is a character that I'm okay with him sexualizing. <laughs> actually pretty sexualized in the manga too it's it's very much like a reflection of the way akicho perceives their mother and like it's by and large someone who like hands are manipulation tits also manipulation but sexual manipulation Mm -hmm. and then finally like the actual person yeah manipulation manipulation person And it definitely is just like I like we're not saying spoilers, but um, the implication is there for a reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Akito very much views it's very it's a little straight. Or like Akito and Ren both view each other as like sexual competition, um, <laughs> like which is uh, is that spoilers? God, see this is hard. Uh, now we actually have to try. I know. Um, I was gonna say, I don't, um, I never thought that Ren viewed Akito as sexual competition. Why do you say that? Not quite sexual, I guess not sexual competition, but almost, but like, okay, spoiler. Um, but, like, Akito is raised as a man because Ren couldn't stand the thought of Akira loving another woman. Mm-hmm. so much which has like a weird sexual undertone okay yeah that's fair 
So it's it's not necessarily like they're both competing to like fuck the same person. It's more so like you're both trying to steal like a certain kind of like pseudo Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean. Yeah, like yeah. a man's attention. Okay, yeah, that makes A man's sense. attention. Yeah. Okay, spoiler ended. <laughs> um, I really like the lighting design in that scene. The, the It's like on the outside, on the outside edges, they're like on an Engala, I think. Yeah, they're on an Engala. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like this cool, like bright red um, lighting design. Yeah. And then they... Uh, Akito and Hatsuri are like in shadow and then Ren of course is an even darker shadow. Uh, I thought it looked nice. It was pretty. Um there was a weird that Akito or not Akito. Ren calls Akito um a stupid child, but the words sound really really close to stupid cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, so I was like wigging. I was like what's happening? So I had to like go on google translate and like repeat what ren said phonetically in google translate to figure out what the fuck she actually said because i was like is stupid cat just a normal insect insult in japanese have we been like joking about this in because we're fools this whole time but no yeah. she did not call him a call akito a stupid cat um, <laughs> that'd be funny if she did though <laughs> be so funny i was like what's happening but anyway um, um, I took note of um, a line that Akito says here, kind of going back to the, the whole sexual thing. Um, they say you leer at every Zodiac man you see. Um, and we've seen Akito say stuff like this before, particularly to Rin. Um, mm-hmm. Akito demonizes female sexuality and projects it onto situations where it's not actually present to justify their actions. Like what Ren is doing to Hatri here really isn't sexual at all. Um, but Akito needs, like, that's, like, one thing we find out about Akito a lot in this episode, is that Akito desperately needs to justify their actions to themselves. Like, Akito always has to be in the right. And so this is one of the ways that they do it. Yep. It's very much, like, we're, it comes out of the park with basically, like, we've already discussed that, like, Akito, because they have chosen chosen i feel like is maybe a bit of a strong word but i mean there's still a person with agency to some degree but like to feels a great like controls people with fear um and violence and abuse um and which means that like akito is really really desperately clinging to these bonds and to this idea of this eternal bond because they also like they know that like they can't they feel no sense of security in like a genuine love that's given by choice i feel like it doesn't get bring them any sense of peace or security the way that this idea of this like magical promise eternal generations of these people that can't leave you that have no power to leave you i think i think this is really revealing of the fact that like akito finds the idea of someone having the option to leave them just like untenable mm-hmm. um so. yeah agree and i also think that like it is again backed up in this episode when you see the way that ren treats akito akito can't control ren yep. and ren hates akito and so the only person in akito's life who who isn't like bonded to them either in a zodiac way or um they work for the family um treats akito like garbage 
So, like, that's what's been taught to Akito. If you give someone the option, they they will hate you. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, let's talk about Akito's gender. <laughs> so, so, Kurino says, he's, like, explaining it to Teru. He says, neither Akito nor Ren will comment on it. It being the fact that Akito was raised as a man. So, I think, so, Akito was taught in, like, many, many ways um, both within the family and societally, uh, just on a larger scale, um, to be ashamed of being a woman. Um, but I think that, like, the, the fact that, like, there's just absolute silence around, around it is, like, one of the worst things. Because it, it teaches Akito to be ashamed of what they were born as, which is kind of similar to the whole Zodiac thing, but even stronger, I think. Um, uh, because the Zodiac is unnatural. Um, but because they can't talk about it or acknowledge it, like, they project- the only thing they can do is project their self-hatred and their internalized misogyny onto other women and de- and demean the gender as a whole so that they can take control of this narrative that was pushed onto them, um, when they were born. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Akito's misogyny is bad, and it's like- Still, you can't, like, whatever, excuse Akito physically assaulting Rin and, like, Kisa uh, via because of their trauma. But it's very much like, what do you expect to happen if you take someone and you're like, the worst thing you can be is a woman and you can never talk about this. You can never um, acknowledge this as the reality. And so you're like, and, and if it's like, oh, we can every now and then mention that Kyo turns into a big smelly monster, but me being a woman, that shit has to stay completely under wraps. So it's like, okay, then this must be the most vile, hateable thing you can be. And so why would I not then treat other women like they are doing something monstrous by mm-hmm. being a woman? Yeah. Yeah, it really is just, like, like so much shame. And it's, like, there's the shame on, like, the personal level. And then there's also shame when it comes to the family name, right? Um, Akito is the head of the Soma family, and um, most EA family systems are patriarchal. They're, they're led by men. Um, which Akito is not. <laughs> so, again, like, and on a larger scale, being a woman would bring shame onto the family. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you're so fucked up and it's very much I love like Akito. i love akito it's i i have a really hard time like like akito definitely is like has a gender experience truly unlike basically anything else yeah like it's, like it's definitely something that i feel like would is pretty like the relationship akito has with their gender i think any cis person would find pretty alien and I think, but it's definitely not necessarily a trans experience. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think there's, like, a certain, like, I feel like trans people probably have just a, I feel like trans people in general have more nuanced understanding of gender just because they have to. Not always. Sometimes you meet trans people and you're like, why, why are you like this? (laughs) (laughs) What went wrong here? (laughs) Anyway. Blair. I was about to say Blair Way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, ma'am. I don't know why you internalize transmedicalism, but um anyway, but generally speaking, at least like most of the trans people in my life that I know personally, like I feel like 
like this idea of like there being a disconnect between the gender you perceive you perceive little oh, I can't speak the gender you perceive yourself as and the gender that everyone else perceives you as is like definitely something that trans people understand and that Akito definitely experiences. And I don't necessarily think that Akicho, like, super feels like a woman or necessarily views themselves as a woman. But they also definitely, like, know some- there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect between the way they perceive their own gender and the way other people do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. I do. I swear. I fucking tore this scene apart. <laughs> Is this soaring flying time? No, not even. <laughs> oh, we're, we're not even there yet. Okay, not we're even. still working. Um, yeah, it was about Akito's line. Akito says to Ren, this is, like, the the trigger right before Akito goes fucking flying. We have a bond. We're connected in a world that you can't reach, that even you can't reach. Um, so I won't say any spoilers other than Akira, Akito's father, not around. So, like, okay. So, like, the love of a father, Akito does not know anymore. Um, and they were always denied love from a mother. And so Akito clings to this, like, supernaturally unconditional love and just throws it back in Ren's face to show Ren that Akito doesn't need her. Like, I think that's a big thing with Akito and Ren is Akito, like, just parading around the fact that they don't need Ren, they don't need a mother's love, they have this thing that Ren can never understand, and therefore, like, Ren didn't rob Akito of anything. Yeah, and also that Akito is more power- like, Akito has power over Ren. Akito keeps Ren more or less, like, locked down in her room. Um, Akito is the head of a family, Akito is- has this bond, has people that can't say no to them, has money, has power, has influence, ha- is better than Ren, is more powerful than Ren, can't, like, is above being affected by Ren, when they're obviously affected by Ren. This idea right. that you can't do anything to me, I'm so much better than you, I have so much more power than you. But it's obvious that Ren has a lot, has a huge effect on Akito. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is why the soaring flying soaring is flying. not, so, is bad why so bad i i reread like i said i reread this chapter they don't leave the hallway this whole scene happens in the hallway they don't leave it it's also like a really quick moment like it's like one page it's like a yeah it's like a one page i mean honestly the choking is like a long panel it's Mm -hmm. like a panel and you can actually barely see the physical violence because it's all covered up in like speech bubbles and like action lines and stuff um it's just like a lot of shouting really fast and then Akito's being pulled off. And in this, they're like, you know what we should do? We should have Akito, who is supposed to be really frail and weak. Apparently, Akito has super strength now, despite part of the thing about Akito is that they're actually very physically frail and weak and sickly. But they nonetheless hasn't have an outsized presence and control over people. Like, that's part of it. Like, that's like a thing, you know? Right. So why yeah. does Akito suddenly 
have the ability to smash Ren through like three different doors and then like do an eight foot vertical leap. <laughs> what the fuck was that? It's so bad. Uh, it's like, oh my god. And then, and then, like, just at the end of it, like, well, just one really quick, can't break out of Hatsuri's grasp. What? I don't. No. Hatsuri's a big ass man. He's like tall. Hatsuri. I don't understand. I don't understand why. Why? Yeah. Why? Akito can go soaring, flying, but then, Aki like, Hatsuri is just like, all right, no, no, you can't, you can't overpower me physically. <laughs> But you can. You can do eight foot vertical leap. It's so bad. It's I just so like bad. the the physicality in Fruits Basket in dramatic moments. Unreal. It's so bad. Especially because we both just rewatched True um, like, <laughs> True Form. Yeah. And how like Toru goes like flying thirty feet and then lands completely submerged in three inches of water. Like <laughs> But and but I think like with that like it just looks bad. But it gets across the same it gets across the same thing that Takaya was trying to get across in the manga. But I feel like Akito's so physically overpowering Ren undermines the point of the scene in that one I think it really undermines like how impulsive this was. Akito is becoming more and more impulsive with their violence. So this was very impulsive and I think the whole like plowing her through the room really took away from that. And two, like like you were saying like Ren has a lot of control, not control exactly, but like this is the one relationship Akito has where they are not the dominant one. Um, and like I think it is like significant that Ren is actually physically larger than Akito. And when you like look at the manga, like Akito has to reach up to grab at her. Um, and so, like, the fact that, like, they both plow through this room, they go flying in the air, and then Akito is literally sitting on top of her, choking her out for an extended period of time, it, re- it, 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 it is implying that Akito is the dominant one, and they're not. It's, it, it sucks. It's this is so a bad, bad choice. Overall, I think this episode was pretty decently adapted, mm-hmm. but this, this moment, absolutely butchered. I just, like, I don't know, like, what, like... I, we know that Ibata doesn't trust the audience, but does Ibata not trust Takaya? <laughs> like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. It was just, it was dumb. It looked bad. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So soaring flying happens, then Akito gets pulled off by Hattori. Mm-hmm. And... Ren starts being like, no, like, love is real. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, Akito is like, you have no right. Like, you don't know what I know. Because it's very, like, there's this supernatural thing is this, like, weird, this weird connection that Akito and all the Zodiac feel is something that I think is really hard to articulate and explain to other people, like, what that feels like mm-hmm. and what that means to you. So Akito is like, no one else knows. Like, no one else can speak to this the way we can. You, you'll never know what this is like. And then, then Ren comes back and is like, yeah, well, you've never been loved. Which is like an insane <laughs> thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I've known real love. I've had someone love me unconditionally. 
I've I've I have a connection that you'll never know. Um And also that person was your dad who you'll never know. Like fucking nuts. Yeah. Um I wanted to comment on that Akito says something along the lines of um uh you know, like, you abandoned me, a lot of Soma parents abandon their children. And so I thought it was interesting that Akito acknowledged not just Ren's abuse, but the rampant parental abuse that exists just across the board in the inner family. Um, and I think it really speaks to one of Akito's manipulation tactics, which is playing the victim. Um, they do this, like, when they're pleading for Kareno to stay at the end of 225, when Akito yells at Shigure, um and claims that Yuki hurt their feelings um, after Akito attacks Yuki in the banquet hall. Um, And that's what they're doing here. They're playing the victim. Um, But as the family head, Akito has a lot of meaningful influence over the family culture, but they never actually choose to address the abuse problem because, one, it's tradition, and Akito always upholds tradition, and, two, it benefits them um, because the Zodiacs are then isolated and under Akito's control. And, like, Akito's victimhood is really a big focus of this episode, I think. I also think it, like, confirms Akito's internal beliefs and this idea that the Zodiac and Akito have a special bond that other people don't understand and that they get out of it. Or it's like, like, it should be, like, it's natural that they're all rejected from society and have each other instead. So it's like, it's like, okay, like, my mother and my, my mother is rejected me and my father is gone because I'm supposed to be a part of this other greater, more important, more internal, eternal thing. Like, we don't need other people this is, like, the natural function of how this is supposed to work, how this is supposed to be. Um, I think that might be part of it. Yeah, true. Also because it makes it easier to manipulate literally yeah. everyone. <laughs> there's levels. Yeah, there's a lot going on. This this scene is fucking heavy. Like, this scene tells us so much about Akito, which is great yeah. because we really, like, haven't gotten a lot into Akito until now. Yeah, for sure. Um... Also, he only said one line, but I'm so excited to hear um, Akira's voice actor, whose name is Akira Ishida. His first name is Akira. Um, <laughs> I am psyched to hear him. He plays Karu Nagisa in Evangelion. And he also, <laughs> and he also plays um, Yakumo Yurakite in Showa Genroku Rakugo Shinju. And his performance as Yakumo is like truly like the best vocal performance I've ever heard in an anime. So I'm very excited to hear um, Akira's scenes. I thought he was a really good casting choice. And when I heard his voice, I was like, yes, I forgot. (laughs) But he's a really distinctive (laughs) voice. Nice. Exciting. Uh, The voice acting in this whole exchange, by the way, was killer. Maya Sakamoto, I would die for you. (laughs) Maya Sakamoto always comes through. Always. Always comes. (laughs) Truly. We've said it before, we'll say it again, but, like, it is the voice acting that is holding this adaptation together. Absolutely. Um, That's the thing that I'm most looking forward to in this season, is definitely the vo- yeah. the Japanese voice acting. So good. Um, 
do I have? <laughs> My note <laughs> after soaring flying was the way Ren is right. She's crazy, but she's right. It's true. She is right. <laughs> but even the Karena was like, Karena then says that to Toru. She's crazy, but she's right. <laughs> yeah. It's literally like, like Ren is deranged and like fucking awful, but she's like not wrong. <laughs> It, what's what's that like uh it's the, the, when the worst, headline or something the, the worst, worst person, person you know, you know just made, made a great, great point great point yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's ren um literally <laughs> um i had a note about the dream okay them waking up from the dream the conception oh, I love dream this. so fucking creepy which first of all i've said it before and i've said it again fruits basket said life begins at conception <laughs> <laughs> it really did it really did just like supernatural <laughs> just like supernatural <laughs> and i think twilight i think twilight said life begins in consumption too yeah but, but that'd be that mormon, so sh- mormon yeah that'd be that so, mormon like, shit yeah <laughs> Uh, okay um okay yeah so they so we see like the four adults not adults they're children but shigure kureno hatsuri and ayume waking up from the dream um and we see shigure in kureno's eyes and they are the ones who actively choose to side with akito and involve themselves um in the curse more than necessary but we don't see hatsuri and ayume's um the former feels like he's being forced to be so involved with um, the curse and family life against his will and the latter has very carefully extracted himself from the sim life so yeah. i liked those choices yeah we see like i think we see the least of ima in the sense that he's like fully turned away from the camera mm-hmm. and hatari is like i forget exactly the shot but you see a little more of him in his you can expression. see his profile yeah um no that was good I love, I, I think this is so creepy, but in, like, a really good way. Like, I think this, like, I, this episode leans into the fact that it's, like, they're cursed and they turn into animals, but they're also fucking possessed. Like, yeah! Like, literally possessed by, like, a foreign spirit, um, which I feel like is something you forget and something that doesn't get as much attention, but this idea that it's not necessarily, like, they, have, as a person, are able to do this it's like there is something inside of them that has affected them in this way and so this is like them and i like the like i think it implies that obviously like when god is around is like a presence it like changes something uh and so they all go and they act really creepy they act like horror movie children they act like little funny horror they act like little creepy horror movie children like imagine you like uh hook up with your boyfriend have a great night um it's a good time and then you're like crawling out of his room to do the walk of shame back to like the servants quarters and then a four children just like run up to you and start trying to touch your belly and be <laughs> forgetting like and they're all like weeping freaky i would scream i would run away screaming <laughs> like so no funny. wonder ren is freaked out by this whole thing that shit's creepy yeah um, no and it really like goes to show like why she thinks it's so unnatural as someone who is genuinely an outsider who married into the family yeah so that was fun i like that 
Uh-huh. No, it's a fun little moment. And I like I like the way Kareno describes it as this like all of a sudden there was this voice inside me that was like calling out and saying like to always be by this person's side and it was this thing that I could tell wasn't quite myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. And then we come back. I didn't I didn't like the I, I really love the panel of Hattori hugging Akito and, like, covering their eyes, but uh, I, I didn't really like the way it was adapted. I didn't really like the body language and I the, like, very exaggerated facial expression. Yeah. No, thanks. fine. Was, but it was, yeah. Um, so I took note of a line. So, yeah, so, like, Ren, like, goes away um, and Akito kind of calms down and they say, why is she always so mean? And, like, I think that line is so telling. This is the behavior that was modeled for Akito. Like, again, like, Akito is responsible for their actions. But they were raised in, like, the worst possible environment, like, out of anyone. Because they were never taught was with the right way to treat people. Ren treats Akito like garbage. She's extremely cruel. Um, And I won't go into it, but the way that Akira treats akito is not very good like modeling either um so yeah like it makes sense like why like akito treats people the way that they do because like look at their fucking parents and i also like the crying body language is the same um as their body language in 225 when they're begging kurono to stay it really shows how like emotionally stunted akito is yeah I like it because a it, it's very much it's like an immature like thing it's like a very sort of childish like this person is being mean to me like it's what you would say if you were like upset and you ran to your mom and you were like someone pushed me down in the cr- playground they're being mean to me um like Akito has never really matured in any meaningful way um and Akito the way that like I think like especially Hatri and Kareno are manipulated by Akito is this, like, this is someone who's vulnerable, who I, like, feel kind of bad for. Like, Mm -hmm. who's this, like, I mean, in Karana's world, like, this sad, like, little girl, which is creepy, but, like, it's (laughs) basically the words he used. So it's very much, like, Akito... Akito controls, I think, like, the younger Zodiacs largely with, like, fear and abuse and, like, like, displays of power. And you still see that, like, when, like, Akito, like, blinded Hattori and stuff. But I think, like, with the older Zodiac, Akito also very much appeals to, like, their pity in a way they don't with other people. Yeah. No, I, um, well, like, right after they say this line, we see a flashback from Hattori's point of view of Hattori as him as a child with Akito as a child. And it, and... And Kareno does use that language about Akito, too. So it's literally everyone, all of the adults in Akito's life, other than Shigure, view Akito as a child. Um, And I think that's, like, why they make all of these excuses for Akito. Like, um, you know, Hattori makes excuses for Akito cheating on Shigure. He can't blame Akito for hurting his eye um, because... The way that he views Akito is that they are still a child. 
Yeah. And also, I think that's why, like, a lot of the adults don't like the way that Shigure treats Akito because Shigure doesn't view Akito as a child. Shigure treats Akito as an adult. A fucked up adult, but an adult. <laughs> Shigure's like, you chose to do this. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Shigure's not wrong. Yeah. Like, Akito is an adult. Akito's in their 20s. Yeah. Um. Akito older than me? I think we're, like, right around the same age. I think we're around the same age. Akito is, like, 23 at the absolute oldest in the... Yeah. At, at the end. Yeah, Akito's in their early 20s. Damn. I'm so much better than Akito. <laughs> <laughs> the bar's on the floor, though. The bar's actually, like, in the core of the earth as far yeah. as being a better, more well-adjusted person than Akito. Anyway. Um, and I'm a year younger than Kurano, and I'm also better than him as well. <laughs> yeah. We've really done it. Um. <laughs> I had something, what was I saying about Kurano? Yeah, Kurano says, The same Akito who wounds others too easily is herself deeply wounded. I wanted to give you the idea of why I can't leave her. Which, again, like kind of goes back to what we were talking about, about how the adults in Akito's life just feel pity for her and they infantilize her them yeah <laughs> um you know this is gonna be a weird season for using pronouns for Akito. Yeah. we both generally use them because it just feels correct to us but but i did just i was just reading the line <laughs> yeah but also i think that like a lo- like kurano really doesn't take agency for his actions and i think that like saying like you know akito is a child this pitiful this pitiful child um, I had no choice but to stay with Akito, um, is very, like, he's placing the blame on Akito and not acknowledging that he made the active decision to stay. Yeah. It's, it's funny because he does, it's like he's both trying to absolve himself of, like, his actions and be like, there's like I have no other choice like this is the only thing but then he also says to Toru like this is the choice I made mm-hmm. of my own and he's free like, will he's like trying to make it like noble yeah and it's not freak <laughs> ass, freak ass. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like this is kind of doubling back um but like the idea because it's funny to me because it's like you know you see those like stories that are like very romantic about like people who are soulmates and they like find each other in every single life like they're born and they always find each other and reconnect and i think fruits basket is very much playing with the same idea but like hey what if that got real fucked up (laughs) what does it mean for like someone who was born in an entirely different context from you um and was experiencing entirely different circumstances to you to bind you to a situation that you now no longer have any control over despite the circumstances that you might have been born into Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah And that's, well, actually, like, I really don't like soulmates as a trope, and the reason is because um, it takes away the character's free will. And that is a huge part of the Zodiac curse, is that their free will, like, is very much infringed upon in so many ways. Yeah. I mean, that's the ultimate, that's, that's the big part of the, like, sure, turning into animals is bad. Turning into a big scary monster, obviously bad. Um, but, like, the real horror of the curse is that they can't they can't say no to Akicho. They like literally physically can't rebel, like don't have actual agency over their lives. And that's truly what like makes their lives miserable, not the fact that like 
if someone hugs them, they turn into a cat or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it's fun. It's like, what it, what, yeah. I, I wrote in my notes, like, they're all, it's like, they're all soulmates, like, in very much, in, like, the idea of, like, this is, like, the person that you're bound to on some kind of cosmic level, but it's actually sucks. <laughs> maybe soulmates is bad. No, I Takaya don't like soulmates said maybe trope. soulmates is bad. And I also I agree. am not crazy about the trope. Um, you know, every now and then I'll be like, eh, I'll read this, but usually I don't, I don't care about, I, I don't care for that shit. I just... Yeah. Personally, I think that choosing someone and committing to someone of your own free will is always going to be kind of, like, more meaningful or romantic than being, like, destined. I've yeah. always found destiny freaky. Yeah, I don't like destined, destined love or whatever. That's also one of the reasons that I don't like that um, Kyo and Toru are connected from their oh, childhood. right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> could have just done without it, and it would have done absolutely nothing to the relationship. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, really anyway. Like the sh- <laughs> I really like the shot of Toru as she's, like, crouched on the ground crying, and the camera's facing up at the sky. I think it really, yeah. like, it really shows the effect of how dizzying and all-encompassing her, like, overwhelm is. Yeah. No. Like, very much. She's freaking- Yeah. Yeah, like, obviously, or I guess, I think, obviously, like, the reason Toru is so freaked out by this is, like, multifold. Part of it is, like, much to my chagrin, because I feel so bad for Uo, but Uo and Kareno, basically, their purpose in the story is so Toru can have feelings about her own situation with Kyo without having to actually think about it consciously. The reason she's upset is it's like Kareno's curse is broken, but Kareno's not free. And so Toru's like, shit, what if the curse is broken and Kyo's not free? What if this curse is broken and all of these people that I've made connections to are still stuck in this bad situation? Like, I think it's mostly about Kyo, but it's also about Yuki. It's also about Momiji and all of- and like, what if Momiji can never reconnect with his sister? You know, they're all in this bad situation, and so the idea that it extends- beyond the curse which is obviously this big thing that Toru doesn't necessarily know how to solve but it seems like a straightforward solution like if I can find a way to break the curse then this can be fixed um versus if I break the curse or if the curse is broken it might not actually fix the situation and that all these people I love might still not be free and not be like not escape this um, is I think really what's terrifying her and I think it's this sense of like helplessness and like powerlessness that really really terrifies her because I think that's the scariest thing for Toru as far as like an emotion goes feeling powerless is something that she doesn't know how to deal with like she very much I think takes a lot of her identity from like a sense of hyper competence she does not she just like like, Yuki, I think, very much experienced a lot of, like, learned helplessness in his childhood, and the way he coped with his, like, long-term shitty situation was just, like, rolling over and waiting. And then he learn has to learn later in life how to start, like, taking control of his situation. Toru 
I think because she had to become so competent at a young age and so responsible, it means that when she's in a bad situation, she's like, okay, I need to do something. I need to like take action in some way. And doing something that has a material effect is like what gives her a sense of internal peace, like gives her, helps her cope with that situation. So when her mom died, she's like, okay, like I have to get a job. I have to start paying my own tuition. I'll move in with my grandpa. Oh, I like my grandpa can't like let me live with him. I'll go. I'll get a tent. It'll be fine. I'm dealing with this. Um, like she needs to like feel like she's in control or she shuts down. Um, and being able to help people is also something that gives her a sense of control, a sense of like that what she's doing is meaningful, that she has something to do with herself. Um, even though I feel like she really does not internalize the effect she has on other people, but that's like a later in the episode thing. Um, she's still like, when she feels like a situation is out of her control and she can't think of anything she could possibly do to address it, she just shuts down. She just like, it becomes a sort of abject despair that she doesn't know how to get out of herself. Totally agreed. And I, I also think like this moment, just the fact that she just collapses on the ground and stays there till past dark, really just hammers home that Toru is a kid. And these yeah. people are just dumping all of this super heavy shit on, onto her. And mm-hmm. it's not fair for her. Yeah. Like, it's been compounding, you know? <laughs> right. Like, Right, like, she's, like, starting to crack under the pressure. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And, like, sometimes she's been able to help, you know. Like, obviously, she's been able to help a lot of these characters and stuff. But it is like she has been taking on these emotional burdens from other people. And, yeah, this is where we start to see her just not be able to handle what she's being put through. Because, yeah, she's literally 17. Um yeah. They never celebrate birthdays on this show. I know. No, I always think about it because <laughs> Toru would go so ham for birthdays. She would go so ham. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she's 16 or Maybe 17. Maybe there's just too many birthdays that she would celebrate. So they're like, <laughs> it we would can't be do the this. whole show. <laughs> it would be the whole show. There's a million characters, and Toru would throw a birthday party for all of them. So we just can't do anything. And no birthdays. All birthdays yeah. are forbidden. that literally might be it (laughs) honestly yeah because you know none of them had birthday parties and she would totally lose her mind over that too they all happen (laughs) off screen um they do in my heart they do my heart yeah um Um, before we go to hana we get one more thing with with kurito that i wanted to comment on so he goes back to akito's and he's like sorry i did feel what are you do you make some excuse and akito gets up walks over to him and slaps him across the face and so this comes right after kurino claims that he is staying out of his own free will but this just demonstrates like crystal clear that that is not true kurino is in an abusive relationship with akito it is not as simple as he's making it out to be like and i don't think that he is ready to acknowledge that he is being controlled by Akito in that way. Yeah. Very much. Um, I do like that. Yeah, I think it's it's very much like a... There is a disconnect between what Kareno is telling himself is happening and what's actually happening. Yeah. Um, like, Kareno is in an abusive relationship, but I don't think that he realizes that. 
No. No. I don't think he's ready to admit that to himself yet. Yeah. And I think it would just, like... Because admitting that to himself would, like, destabilize the entire, like, foundation of beliefs he has about, like, the past, like, however ten, many years yeah, of his ten life. Years. Yeah, <laughs> He's like, oh, that whole decade, actually what I believed about them was wrong. Um, like, and it, I think that when you have those realizations, it often feels like you're, you've just, like, lost years of your life. Like, you, yeah. So he's just not, he's not ready for that yet. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, Kurano, he's sad, stupid little man. You sad? I don't. Li- I feel bad for you, but I also think you're gross. So it's kind of <laughs> he's this so weird... gross. You're so gross. You're so gross. Your life is so sad, but you are so gross. <laughs> if only your coping mechanism wasn't like being weird to teenage girls. <laughs> it's because he's attracted to people who throw childish fits. Yeah. And most people who do that and most people who do that are children and Akito. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Disgusting. Um And then Hana rolls up. And then Hana rolls up. Miss I love her. She's her, so sweet. Her intro line da, is da, so da, cute. Da. Um actually someone on Twitter, I'm giving Aoi credit for this, pointed out that this is a reference to a show called Baby and Me, which came out in 1997. So I'm sure at the time, it was a very timely reference. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so glad they kept the really dated reference in it. Oh, that makes me so happy. <laughs> I don't know why that thrills me, but it does. I no, love it's when so like, cute. weird shit like that. It's like, you would never know. And eventually that reference becomes meaningless, but it's still there. And now it's just like a part of something. Yeah. Nothing ever dies. Um, <laughs> that's great. Um, yeah, Hana shows up and she's very sweet and she says her little funny, apparently reference to a show from 1997. Yeah. Um, to, because she loves Toru so much she could hear her pain. <laughs> Hana shows up and she's like, okay, time to, like, clearly. Toru needs to take a Soma break. She's like, okay, you've dealt with these freaks long enough. I don't know what their problem is, but they clearly got a problem and they're clearly putting too much of it on you, so we're having a slumber party. (laughs) Because Hana's a great fucking friend. She really is. Yuki and Hana's dynamic is so cute. I could watch an entire show of just Yuki and Hana. So cute. There's, like, so few interactions between them, but all of them are gold. They're so good. Like, I think Yuki is, like, so... Like, at first, Yuki is definitely very weirded out by Hana. But I think at this point, he just seems, like, very charmed by her, which I think is uh, fucking adorable. And she's not even, like... Hana does a lot of things where she'll, like, mess with people. Like, she messes with Kyo, like, all the time. But I feel like with Yuki, she's just, like, being herself. And Yuki just, like, thinks it's cute. (laughs) They have, like, a very sort of, like, weirdly compatible sense yeah. of humor, I think. Yeah. Where it's not necessarily that it's, like, they both make the same kinds of jokes or anything, but they're both kind of doing their own thing and mm-hmm. mutually appreciate each other and, like, the like the back and forth. I think they're both very dry. Yeah, they're both very dry. Um, I love Han. I love Hana. I love the... Her... I love her saying extremely dramatic things in a complete deadpan. It's just so good. It's so good. It's so funny. Yeah. Um, that is also how I talk sometimes. If I'm just goofing around, like, 
we're having a nightgown festival. Like, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Um, you dare object to my nightgown <laughs> festival. I, it was her wording was just really good. Like, I'm stealing Toru away. She's all mine. And Yuki's like, that sounds sus. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I like Yuki like totally like picks up what she's putting down. He's like, oh, a pajama party. <laughs> yeah, they're joking around. He's poking a little fun at her and she's continuing the bit, you know, like she's doing a bit and he's like yeah. goofing off with her. It's really sweet. Um, yeah, they have a very cute dynamic. And then that little conversation ends. and Yuki's just like, oh, OK, weird. Toru's not coming home tonight. Um, and Shigure sticks his little head out of the door and is like, what's happening? Uh, and Yuki's like, oh, Toru's staying over at Hana's. And Shigure is like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like this little this moment here where he's like, he's like, ooh, I didn't think she would react this badly. Um, like, Shigure obviously is like very good at manipulation, but I think that one of the legs up he has with the Somas is that um, he's known literally all of them since birth. So he knows their past. And he knows, um, you know, just their the intricacies of their personality. Um, but with Toru, like, obviously, like, he's still good at reading her and he does manipulate Toru. Um, but he doesn't have the full picture um, of Toru's childhood because he met her when she was a teenager. Hence why Shigurei's like, oh, hmm. <laughs> like, he doesn't know what her breaking point is yet. Right. And he doesn't know necessarily what those things that would hit the worst for her are. Because, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't know her weird childhood of like doing her mom's taxes um, after she finished her like fifth grade homework like yeah um which is so he is kind of i think he's like partially like uh-oh and also just kind of like time to well, i'll catalog this in as where w- how where too much becomes for toru like she she seemed to handle true form okay, but this one for whatever reason was rough for her. Like, yeah, he's like plugging it into whatever like constantly running equations are going in his head. You know. Mm-hmm. Also, he doesn't know about Kareno and Uo. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't. Oh shit, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and then he, I like that he's he's like, I don't want Hana to be pissed at me. <laughs> so funny. I like that out of out of everyone. He he cares what Hana thinks about him. <laughs> no one else <laughs> does. I, like I think he's like genuinely kind of like that girl has magic powers, and I think if I really hurt Toru, she would fuck me up. <laughs> like it's he is afraid of her, and like correctly. Well, I think he's actually kind of endeared by her, just like from their yeah. interactions. But no, he definitely that, that's a good point. Oh, she has magic powers. <laughs> <laughs> like. He knows that Hana would do anything for Toru. Yeah. And why wouldn't he believe she has legitimate magical powers that she can fuck people up with? He knows magic is real. He has magical powers. He has powers. (laughs) So if I was Shigure, I would be afraid of Hana. I'd be afraid of Hana and Uo. I'd be like, if I wreck Toru, that girl... Those two girls are going to come over me and, like, zap me with magic and beat me with a metal pipe. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. I would love to see it. <laughs> it would be so funny. Um, <laughs> we get some really good, uh, which we haven't gotten in a while, Yuki Shigure bachelor pad banter. So good. 
<laughs> he's like, please don't, please. He's like, maybe I should try please. cooking. Don't, 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 don't. <laughs> I love that Yuki's just like, you know, Yuki has gone through his character arc. He's like, let's try cooking. I like to try new things now. This is my thing. I like doing <laughs> new things outside of my comfort zone because I'm the self-actualized Yuki. And Shigure is like, I don't want to eat self-actualized Yuki's cooking. <laughs> So fucking funny. And that's also like, that was a really good um, place to place that scene just to give us like a fucking breath. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) From the first half of the episode, which is crazy heavy. Yep. (laughs) So do you jump back to the Hanajimas now? Yes. So Hana's mom is being a chill, nice mom that's like, what should I make for dinner? Like, does I, do you any? Do you need anything? And um, Hana's angling for some shark fin that she doesn't get. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which no shark fin is like, it's expensive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, I like Hana's breaking gender norms by having her love of food be a defining trait. Also, the <laughs> lesbianism. The lesbianism. <laughs> yeah. So. Toru doesn't want dinner. She's, I don't think she has eaten dinner, but she uh, turns down food. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just, like, too anxious. Yeah, I th- she's lost. She has no appetite. Uh, they go, they get some tea. Hanas basically puts Megumi on retrieve Uo duty. <laughs> yeah. Sweet baby bro. I like Hanajima's black tea set. It's so it's cute. Yeah. We're back in Hana's ugly ass bedroom. <laughs> Her ugly um, fucking bedroom. So purple. ugly fucking bedroom. Just the purplest room alive. <laughs> um. <laughs> and Toru is all shut down, mm-hmm. basically. Um, she's sitting there, extremely, extremely distraught. Um, Tori's like, how did you even know to get me? And Hana is like, I could fucking hear it. Um, I do think that it's very sweet that Hana's, like, tuned in to um, Toru's emotional frequencies on some level. Um, she's cute. She likes to keep tabs on her friends. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think it's partially that there's no... Takaya's magic system's entirely vibes-based. Um, (laughs) I I do... (laughs) I do read this as, like, because they're so close, like, Hana is able to tune into this kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like you can really tell how messed up Toru is because of how much she's struggling to articulate herself. Because Toru is actually a very articulate person and usually very good at taking complicated emotions and putting them into words that p- other people can understand. Um, whether it's through anecdotes about often it's like anecdotes about her own life and then she's able uh which she uses to connect with other people and helps them understand like complicated emotional problems that they're having and so Toru's like an emotionally intelligent character that's very verbally adept and right now she cannot figure out what to say she does not know how to verbalize what she's going through why she's so upset She's, like, stuttering. She's dropping off in the middle of sentences. It's bad. hmm Yeah. Yeah, no, Toru is usually pretty good at, like, taking things in stride. 
And a lot of this stuff, like, even some of the heavy stuff with the curse, um, she and, and the scary stuff, she's been able to kind of let it, like, roll off her back. Um, even if it's not, like, instantly, um, she usually recovers pretty quick. I'm thinking, like, true form, she recovered, like, impressively quick when Akito threatens her. Um, she recovers pretty quick. Um, but she is really not dealing with this well, yeah. like, at all. Like, this is definitely, like, the most distraught we've ever seen her. Um, For sure. But, yeah, it's just, I made a similar note of, like, what you were saying earlier about how she is really struggling, like, both with the burden of the family secrets and just the concept of forever. Um, and it's all just kind of starting to boil over. And it's exacerbating her own issues, and it's starting to boil over and affect her behavior and also her self-perception. Yeah, for sure. Um, I also think part of the reason she's having such a hard time verbalizing her emotions is because she won't let herself think about what she's actually upset about. So she's trying to, she's really upset that Kareno is never going to, like, return Uwatani's affection in a way that she wants him to. Um, so she's gotten all bent out of shape about this when she's not, she, it's not about that. It's obviously yeah. about herself and Kyo, but she just, like, because she can't admit what she's actually upset about, she then can't articulate why she's upset because she doesn't even know herself because mm-hmm. um, she's, like, repressed it so hard. It's actually something that we've seen her do before. Um, I'm so glad I just rewatched season two. <laughs> um, when Toru goes to visit Rin in the hospital and Rin asks Toru, like, who is it you're trying to save? And she does the same thing. She completely shuts down. She can't speak. Um, and you can tell it's bothering her later. And it again, later, she has a dream about Kyoko. Um, she has this thing about usefulness like, a lot of her self-worth is connected to how useful she is, um, which I'm not going to say explicit spoilers, but it goes back to her childhood. And so I think, like, on some level, like, she is over and over again, like, unconsciously reenacting those feelings from her childhood um, and also... Um, like, projecting um, her own feelings about, like, Kyo onto Uotani and um, Kurino. And because this situation is so hopeless and she feels so useless, um, that it's making her feel the same way that she did as a child and about how she feels about Kyo. And so her it's, it's hurting her self-worth because she feels yeah. useless. That was a really like roundabout she... way to say that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, for sure, for sure. She definitely, she has this complex about being useful. I mean, you saw, like, the first time we see Toru get really, really upset is when she gets sick. And she's like, I can't, like, I'm not being useful. And Kyo is like, calm down. It's okay. I'm going to make you some soup. Everything's going to be fine. But the first time we see Toru get really emotionally distraught is when she feels useless. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, it's like, I think part of this is like, because this is such a situation, like, this is a situation that is so out of her realm of control. I think part of this is also like, yeah, it's this idea of eternity and this idea of something that's outside of her power, which I think drags up feelings of 
like her mother's death and the fact that that was something that there's nothing she could have done to prevent it. There's nothing she could have done to make it better after the fact. There's like she just like it was a random accident that she had no way of changing before or after or during the fact. And I think things like that, something where she's completely powerless to change that situation. She does. She she doesn't know how to handle that yet. She can't. She just can't process. Like, that feeling is just completely overwhelming to her. Any feeling of powerlessness is both tied into, yeah, her, like, childhood issues and, like, where she derives her self-worth from. But also, I just think that, like, that, like, a loss of control, horrifying to her on some existential level she can't name. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. My my next note was actually about, I guess they must have intercut this with a scene, uh, Kyo, in the intersection. Yeah, yeah. It's like, Hana starts talking about, I actually, I liked what they did here, where Hana's like, mm-hmm. you're taking on everyone yeah. else's trauma and everyone else's baggage, and you're not taking care of yourself, and someday that's going to break you. And then we cut to Kyo being like, is that Toru's fucking scarf? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you watch the scarf get run over by two cars. <laughs> and Kyo's like, Jesus Christ. I like the cut to Kyo because Toru takes a lot of Kyo's emotions for him. Um, But also that um, Kyo does the same for her. Like he sees the scarf and he goes and picks it up. Like I I like that little implication that there's like kind of an equal exchange there. No, absolutely. That's that's definitely what I was reading from it. Like Kyo is one of those people that Toru's obviously taken on some of his emotional baggage. But also Kyo is one of the only characters that is like checking in on Toru and is going to be there for her when she needs it and when she's being hit by two metaphorical cars in quick succession apparently <laughs> she goes and is like I'm gonna go pick this up and wash it yeah <laughs> sweetheart he's he's good we love a boy um, also I like the camera swing was fun yeah he's cute I love to see him um <laughs> and but him standing in the middle yeah. of the crosswalk I was like you're giving me anxiety. Move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's standing there for like, so long. Um, It was very much like this like little bit where Toru's like, she feels like she's like talking. She's like, everyone's helped me so much and I'm, I'm powerless and I haven't done anything for them. And it's like Toru really does not understand the effect she has on other people. She, I think Toru has really low self-esteem. And doesn't understand how much she's appreciated and how much she's loved. Like, she doesn't... And it's not that she feels necessarily like... Like, she... It's like, you wouldn't think that Toru... You would think almost that if Toru had, like, some kind of issue or baggage, it would be like the, like, I put so much into other people and no one gives back to me would be, I feel like, the obvious thing you would think might be going on with her. But she doesn't feel like that. She genuinely does not understand that she is taking on these emotional burdens for other people. She doesn't think of it as something that she does for other people. She thinks... She she just does not understand that she helps people. She has really low yeah. self-esteem. She really does. Please don't. Um, she, she feels like a burden, still. Still. Mm-hmm. Speaking of um, people not taking on Toru's emotions... Oh, so Uo rose up. She's dressed like a huge fucking dyke. She's dressed- I, I love her outfit. Her outfit's so good. 
Um, this is an issue that I have not with Ibata, but with Takaya's writing. Um, but, and I know why she did it. Okay. So I wish that Uo had downplayed Kurono's importance to Toru here instead of confirming his importance. Because I think that it's very obvious that Toru's reaction to what's going on here is way overblown to the situation. Like, it does not match the situation. Um, and Uo and Hana are trying to get Toru to stop taking on so much. And so I think, like, even if it's a lie, it would be nice for someone other than Kyo to set their discomfort aside and try and soothe Toru's anxiety. But I think just, like, Takaya's whole approach narratively is that is that romance trumps all, so Uo and Kurano's romance can't be downplayed, and Kyo has to be the only person in Toru's life who is taking on all these emotions from her. Like, I just, I really don't like the writing choice, and I, and, like, I think it, like, affects their friendship. Yeah. Like, it, like, deprioritizes their friendship. Toru is more important to Uo than Kurano. Like, that is a fact. But that's not, like, what the subtext is telling me. Like, she very much is, like, stuck. Like, she says, like, I think, like, I do think she's trying to tell Toru, like, your friendship is more important to me than, like, what's happening with me and Kareno. Yeah, and I that's what she's saying textually. To- yeah, but it's <laughs> weird. And then, yeah, I don't, obviously we don't like what happens with Uo and Kareno. I think it's bad writing. Yeah. I also think it sucks to see, um... <laughs> But it just, like, in a show that so, like, celebrates friendship, I wish that the female friendships were stronger. Because I think that the male friendships or the male-female friendships are stronger than the female-female friendships. Yeah. The only person out here is really Hana being like, can you guys please? (laughs) Like, I heard your cosmic pain, Toru. (laughs) That's why Hana's the best. Hana's the best. Um... But yeah, so with anyone, yeah. But that was like my beef with like that little moment. Like I think, like Uo is trying to tell Toru that she's more important, but she's not. Like Kyo sets aside his own discomfort time and time again to help Toru, and that's great. But I wish that there were other people in Toru's life who did that, and Uo is not doing that. Um, yeah. I. I wish. I wish that also. I also wish that for Toru and for Uo, because I think it would make Uo a better character. Um, I do think they're sweet, though. Like, even though there's, like, yeah, as far as, if you look at it overall, I do think Uo, like, giving Toru a hug and being like, listen, like, I don't want you to be crying about this. Like, I'm gonna be okay. Yeah. sweet. No, it Um, is. It's very sweet. Yeah. Then they go and they take their little nap. And, and, mm-hmm. and it's also weird because it's like Hana's like, you know, I think that Uo, like, prioritizing Toru's feelings about this situation helped her, like, look at it in a different context and feel better about it herself. So then the, the I'm like, why didn't you, why didn't you stick with it? Why didn't it, like, go somewhere interesting with that? But yeah. Yeah. Megami's yeah. cute, though. I like his little He's very cute. <laughs> My heart pounds being surrounded by older women. Such a perfect I love little shit. 
He's, he's so funny. so good. The most little brother of all time. <laughs> he really is. Then we get a little sneaky peek at Ren and Rin. Rin. <laughs> maybe maybe we should consider pronouncing Rin's name correctly this season. Because <laughs> it's Rin. <laughs> Rin. Yeah. Takaya, did you really need to do this? Did you need Why? to be so heavy-handed with this, Takaya? Did you need to make them look so similar and have such similar names? Was that necessary? Was it? Sometimes Takaya can be so subtle, and sometimes <laughs> Takaya can be so not. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I like that. Um, one of the things that I noticed is that... Um, Ren and Akito have very similar body language. So when Ren approaches Rin here, um, you know, she's like invasively touchy. And it it very much has to do with the hair. Like Akito is constantly touching women's hair in that way. I think it just expresses like a very like effortless control. Yeah. It's good. I like I like so it's like the I think it's fun because like, you know, if we're like looking at Toru and Reen as like this is gonna take some getting used to uh, <laughs> not necessarily foils but like I don't know comp- they're complimentary characters um, mm-hmm. and I like that when Toru finds out about Kareno's curse breaking it is crushing um, because she views it as like we already explained this, but she views it as like, I don't, this situation is bigger than I can control. But Rin, oh, like, witnesses this all go down from like the hill. And this is hope for Rin. This is like, because Rin has been fighting, Rin, Rin has been fighting like tooth and nail, like breaking her body for like the past like two years trying to find a way to break the curse and has ended up in dead end over over, after dead end after dead end um and this is confirmation this is confirmation that there's a way out that it's not it's not set in stone that everyone telling her that they don't know that there might be no way for this curse to ever break it's like there's some way out there is some exit to this situation that she's in and i think because now she knows now she has this like sliver of hope is why she's willing to consider what Ren is doing. It's like, Ren is scary. Ren is a huge risk. A huge safety risk. Ren is creepy, untrustworthy. Will get Reen in an insane world of trouble, unlike anything she's ever been in. And this is someone who's been pushed out a fucking window. Um, But now she knows that it might pay off. That there's a chance it'll actually pay off. Which is, I think, why she's able to be like... All right, let me consider, like, I'll give this a shot. I never realized that Reen, um, overheard them. Well, I think, well, she sees, I think, well, I mean, she, she's, like, standing on the hill, and, like, why would she be, like, looking so freaked out? I don't think she overhears them, but I think she can tell that Kareno's curse is broken, because I think he might, she might see him, like, hug Toru or something. Or the birds fly away. I think she can tell something's up. I guess the reason I didn't um, think that, like, I had never considered that is because, spoiler, she never brings it up ever again. (laughs) 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 
I might be misreading it. That's at least how I thought. No, that's I don't like, know. I couldn't figure out why she was making that face. Like, why else would she be there? Is like, she... I, okay, maybe she sees how crushed Toru is. Like, like, doesn't have the context, but sees how crushed Toru is, and it gives her, like, a new, like, drive. Yeah, I don't know. I, I actually never considered that she had overheard or that she, like, found out about the curse breaking because she doesn't ever bring it up again. But uh, the other thing is that her storyline is complete. Spoiler, her storyline is dropped. So maybe Takaya yeah. straight up forgot. Like, that is honestly possible <laughs> that she forgot yeah. because Takaya is chaotic and Act 3 is a mess. Act 3 <laughs> is such a mess. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's that's how I read it um, and interpreted that scene. No, I but think I that guess- that is... No, I think that's a fair interpretation. I just, like, I'm confused. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, Fruits Basket. Fruits Basket. Oh, Fruits Basket. Editor Sophie here to confirm that Reen does not know that Kurano's curse is broken. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wait. <laughs> Here's my favorite, my favorite moment of the episode. Mm-hmm. Kurano goes home and he pity fucks Akito. Yep. And that... Yep is amazing to me it was this the second time was it the second time takaya takaya it was this the second and last time takaya you're so wrong like your own writing like you're wrong (laughs) god they must have the worst sex okay just unbelievably bad sex (laughs) just sad and unpleasant sex sad boring sex because they're 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 two people who are not attracted to each other and that is really sexy to me (laughs) i fucking hate you (laughs) Uh... okay i'm like yeah Uh... i feel kyoru kind of boring but um (laughs) karena and akito who are not attracted to each other and are in an abusive relationship give me more (laughs) <laughs> you're you're so the person you are every single day you don't stop being the person you are um, anyway um do you want to talk about kyoru like, i thought it was cute kyoru. it was so cute oh i love this little moment it's sweet. yeah i'm doing a voice um but she goes home and she sees her scarf and she's like is that my fucking scarf um and kyoru didn't even think anything of it he was like I think I found your. Is this yours? Like I found it in the street. <laughs> she's she's so happy, and I like her little. I like that she swats at him with her little pom poms. Um, Kyo is. I just like. I like Toru and Kyo's physicality a lot, and that like, like Kyo is the only character that Toru kind of like. I don't know what the word for it is, but like, playfully sort of like harass it i hate like it's like it's not right but you know like they'll like play keep away with each other and she'll like try and like hit him with her pom-poms or like jokingly like do fake karate with him and stuff in a way that she would never like kind of roughhouse a little bit like she roughhouse a little bit with Kyo in a way she does with literally no other person mm-hmm. um, which is very sweet yeah they're very sweet um i think playful is the right word for it i think yeah they're very, they're very playful, playful. They're very playful with each other. They just make each other really happy. And then they're just, she's like, thank you so, like, she's so happy. She's so touched. And he's, like, a little embarrassed, but he's also very glad he made her happy. He's like, yes, I've made Toru happy. This is the best possible feeling. Um, And even Yuki, who's, like, 
oversees this and is like, Christ, but this is very sweet. (laughs) 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 Oh, Yuki, you're in a world for, you're in for a world of pain um, as far as living with these two. Um, But he oversees them and he's like, I'm glad that Kyo has cheered Toru up. Yuki's like, Kyo is good for one thing, and it's making Toru happy. And whenever he fails at his one thing that Yuki respects him for, he's like, I am going to end you. (laughs) Um, Classic gay best friend. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's like... (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I really, I like the like very consistent character trait of Kyo that he is not very good with his words. And so the way that he like expresses love is through acts of kindness. Um, it's cute. It's very it's fitting. Cute. It's very cute. It's very fitting. It's very cute. I, I just, I love this whole very like sort of end scene like Shigure comes up and they all start like joking around and it's kind of loud and rowdy and it's like there's a real sense of like familiarity and lived inness of this like whole interaction and it's like yeah they've been like living together for three years now and this is their weird little family um it's very sweet and it's very like I don't know it feels super nostalgic for me because like I grew up like reading and watching Fruits Basket, but it's like, yeah, like, they're all, they have, like, this rapport, they are this, like, they're a little family, and they all like each other, and, like, I mean, obviously, it's kind of a weird, emotionally fraught situation still for some of them, um, but also, they all get along and, like, living together, and it's cute. Yeah. So cute. Yeah. Also, Kyo ate food that Yuki, uh... (laughs) I know! That's character development, baby. That's character development right there. Kyo ate Yuki's terrible food. And he probably absolutely <laughs> he complained and insulting it, but he also, like, was willing to do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, did you watch the ED? I did. Um, there are so many spoilers in it. <laughs> <laughs> I know! Jakaya's like, would you like to see every endgame couple? All of them. <laughs> Every oh, single except, end game except for couple. Yuki, who is with Machi and Kakeru, because of course. Yes, girl. <laughs> Even you know that Machi and Yuki can't last. Oh. Even you know that that's like Kakeru orchestrating the most psychosexually insane possible situation for himself. <laughs> it was. I like laughed so hard when it came to Yuki, and it was him with the two of them. I know. Like, they cut Kakiru out of the OP, but she couldn't leave him out of the endgame couple cards. Which were very beautiful, by the way. I love Takaya's art. I I really like her new art style. Yeah. No, it's very pretty. Um, It's like, like are you... It was very simple. Like, do you hook your um, sister and your best friend that you're in love with up together? Or are you normal? Like... (laughs) Kakadu, I love you so much, but you are unwell. <laughs> he really is. Huh. Well, well. Do you have anything else to say? <laughs> no. <laughs> Great. Um. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you want to hit us up on social media, we're on Twitter and Tumblr at Soma So Good. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.